We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. files of schlock and awe. Welcome to Natural Selection, the home of the DTV Creature Feature. Here are your hosts, Maddie Budrevich and Dave Wing. Don't you dare touch me! Stand back! Hello and welcome to Natural Selection. Uh, my name is Matty Budrevich and I am joined today by my good friend and frequent co-collaborator, Mr. Dave Wayne. Hello. Um, and I guess we should probably, what, like, really explain what the hell we're up to with this whole Natural Selection thing? Yeah, what are we doing? What are we doing? Well, we're doing this book, which you may have heard of, which is Schlock and Ohr, 1001 Forgotten Films of the 90s Rental Realm. And this book, it kind of, it kind of deals with DTV films from the 90s. But the thing is, the 90s has an overlap, especially with direct-to-video films. And 2000, 2001, 2002, there's so many films that we'd like to sneak in, but we can't. But we really, really need to draw attention to them. So, I mean, this podcast will evolve. We're doing natural selection. It may evolve into an erotic thriller podcast. It may evolve into a cyborg-themed podcast. But at the moment, we're going to chat about creatures. All the wonderful creature features from the turn of the millennium. Okay? All those wonderful director video movies that you may have seen late at night on the Sci Fi Channel. Um, or you may have stumbled across on, I don't know, in, in various rental bargain bins over the years. Okay? So I think in order to do that, though, in order to really look at the director video creature feature we've got to start with the three big boys okay mm -hmm. so i want you to picture this okay all right it's may 1999 all right mm -hmm. anaconda has happened yeah anaconda happened two years ago right it spent two weeks at the top of the u.s box office mm -hmm. it brought in triple it's 45 million dollar budget mm -hmm. and it's currently performing incredibly well on cable and in video stores. Yeah. Okay? May 99, Lake Placid is just about to happen. Now, it's not going to be quite as successful as Anaconda was, but, you know, it's going to pull in nearly double its budget, and like Anaconda, it, it's going to do okay on cable and video. Yeah. All right? So, Deep Blue Sea is just about to happen too. Okay. Okay? Now... That'll go on to open in third place in US cinemas, and by the end of its theatrical run, uh, mm -hmm. it'll have clawed in twice its production costs. And like Anaconda, like Lake Placid, Deep Blue Sea's going to hold its own through TV showings, and it's going to fly off video store shelves. Mm. Okay, It's going to become a real, real cult favourite. Yeah. Okay? Now... I want you to imagine something else here, Dave. Mm. Imagine your new image. Okay. Okay. Your new image, the iconic B movie studio, founded iconic. by Avi Lerner, mm -hmm. his brother Danny, yeah. businessman Trevor Short, mm. and international sales whiz Danny Dimbart. Yeah. Okay. 
So your new image, you've just spent the last seven years producing low-budget action movies for mm. the straight-to-video market. Indeed. Okay? we got stuff like Project Shadow Chaser, uh, Cyborg Cop, uh, okay, all that great stuff. Yeah. Well, you've just had a little success with a movie that you bankrolled to preemptively cash in on Deep Blue Sea. Right. Okay? Shark Attack. Hey. So, that little B-movie, it's coined it in. Shark mm-hmm. Attack has made a fortune in sales at the American film market at the back end of 1998. Yeah. And it's now, in May 99... Bouncing around sci-fi and a bunch of other TV channels in America and the UK. Mm-hmm. And it's making money hand over fist on video and in the then burgeoning DVD market. Yeah. Okay? All the world over. Where, If you're new image, where do you go from that? What mm-hmm. do you do next? Mm-hmm. More of the same. More of the same. So, as Danny Dimbart would tell Variety just after the 1999 Cannes Film Festival... We've developed a slate of high-concept genre pictures, and the demand has been unbelievable. It's 1999, Dave. May 1999. Your new image, and you have just broke all company records pre-selling spiders, octopus, and crocodile at Cannes. They've been experimenting on funnel web spiders. Get this, they injected that spider with alien DNA. I knew it was something like that. <laughs> Clip from Spiders there, Gary Jones's awesome uh, arachnophobic picture from 2000, which of course was written by Stephen Brooks. And we have a amazing interview with Stephen Brooks that follows this podcast where he chats to us for about 20, 25 minutes on the genesis of uh, Spiders and also his relationship with Toby Hooper. And it's really, really fascinating. So when we're done here, don't forget to stay tuned for a little listen to our man Brooks. So, spiders, where do we begin? Where do we even begin there, with this there film? There is so much to sort of pick apart with this, man. There, you know, there is so many... To me, spiders tick so many mm. boxes. Okay. We, 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 could, we could sit here and we can just rub our thighs for 15 yes. minutes because that, that would do it justice, quite frankly. I mean, one, it started out as a Toby Hooper film. Insane. I, I am... I am in awe of Toby Hooper. You um, are. One of the darkest days in horror history was when he mm. passed away. Mm. Um, so he originally came on to Spiders, and yeah. he was the one who, as uh, as Stephen says, yeah. who brought Stephen Brooks along. Because um, Brooks and Hooper were pretty tight, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, they'd yeah. been working with each other for a few years on special effects, you know, mm-hmm. for uh, Invaders from Mars and... Spontaneous Combustion. Spontaneous Combustion. Um, yeah. And just bef- just prior to uh, Spiders, uh, Brooks and Hooper had wrote The Mangler yeah. together. Um, so Toby Hooper originally signs on, mm-hmm. um, and the film apparently was called Cobwebs at this point, which is a yeah. very, very cool title, but very. maybe not one that would suit spiders no. as it is now. Okay, so spiders is very much a 50s style sci-fi horror. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a big throwback picture. And as much as I would have loved to have seen what Toby Hooper would have done with it, because yeah. I think it would have been a really frightening and great movie, mm-hmm. um, I am glad that he stepped aside and opted to direct Crocodile really? instead. Yeah, yeah, yeah because uh, one... I'm glad Crocodile exists as it is under Hooper's direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but more than anything, I think Jones is a perfect yeah. fit for it's the material. Match. It's a good match, isn't it? Mm. I mean, 
we've been into Gary Jones for quite some time. Where did you where did you begin with Gary Jones? Was it with Mosquito or was it with Spiders? Spiders was the first film right, of his. Okay. Um, I saw and I became quite enamoured um, with, with with his work. Yeah. He, uh, of course, was part of the same uh, Michigan sort of mm. circle as uh, Sam Raimi, yeah. Rob Tapper, mm-hmm. Bruce Campbell, Josh Becker. Yeah. And Jones, he, he began with those guys. He began um, working with Josh Becker on Strikers War, also known as uh, Thou Shall Not Kill, Except. <laughs> um, and then he'd work on Evil Dead 2 yeah, um, yeah. and uh, Moontrap, which Moon is uh, providing the visual effects for them. And they... You know, they're really, really good. They're very mm-hmm. indicative of uh, his sort of comic book sensibility, which yeah. he would go on to imbue spiders with. Mm-hmm. So Gary Jones signs on to spiders and crafts it as this sort of 50s sci-fi horror, um, mm-hmm. very much in the them and tarantula mode. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, you've got the whole... You've got the giant spider thing, the yeah. spider that keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, but mm-hmm. you've got all these little uh, nods and winks to... Other things of the same sort of period, like you know yeah. the, the space race, yeah. um, conspiracy theories. Absolutely, several winks to some glaring conspiracy theories in mm-hmm. there, and you know the whole spiders in and of itself is very much, as well as being a really good, jumpy, scary comic book creature feature. Yeah. It's sort of like a little love letter to um, the I want to believe, alien yeah. sort of generation, where you know where they're very much. Heavily indebted with what's going on in these secret military areas. That's right. And stuff, you know, because the, the story is, of course, about a, um, a female college reporter, <laughs> you know, who happens to, her, along with two friends, a photographer and the sort of geeky tech mm-hmm. wizard, um, stumbles onto a military base um, where the, the shady government types are experimenting with spiders and alien DNA, which, of course, creates this giant, monstrous spider by the uh, film's close uh, for the Mother-in-Law Project, which yeah. is a, a great name and something I, yeah. I hope's like a, a little wink in the direction of alien, <laughs> that sort of thing. I mean, you know, Brooks had a very specific template from what to work yeah. to. I mean, New Image had the space station opening that they got for nothing, they had to have the, you know, the, 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 the spider car ending. Uh, you know, the Japanese bias dictated that, and um, Brooks will elaborate on that later. So how do you think it manages to negotiate those templates, the, the, the specifics? I think, you know, you can fire criticism at spiders for not being entirely believable, mm-hmm. and not just in the sense that there's a giant frigging spider <laughs> parading around, but in, in the way of, a, oh, you mean a... a a girl from a college newspaper yeah. is going to stumble upon there, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it's a it's a good story, um, and everything works within the reality of the movie. Yeah. You know, um, the character of of uh, Marcy, played by uh, Lana Perilla, yeah, um, her character is from the outset laid out to be a bit of a conspiracy theorist, a bit of yeah. a UFO nut. I I don't think it is. It doesn't seem ill-fitting that she knew where this military base was and that she'd track it down. You get the impression that she's been there for some time, and mm-hmm. now she's just found a way to sort of angle in to cover it for her own, for like her college newspaper purposes. Yeah, she's a great character, isn't she? I mean, she's she's perfectly cast. I mean, she's got this naivety to her, but also this this rabid ambition whereby she she's desperate to uncover something, even mm-hmm. even at her own cost. 
Um, and of course, by the film's end, you know, mm. where you've got her wielding a bazooka <laughs> at, uh, at, a, at a giant spider that's doing a, yeah. a King Kong up the side of a building in LA. You know, you've, you, she goes into Sigourney Weaver Asuka mode yeah, as well. Absolutely. And throughout the, the film's runtime, when she is fighting the, the various forms of the spider, of yeah. mother in law, you know, she, uh, she's got a very, she's got a nice arc. She's not yeah. afraid. She she just she knows that she's in trouble. Yeah. She's going to try and save herself and save her friends. Mm-hmm. Let's speak about Candy because I mean their work in this film is well, it, it's standard. I mean, you know, we don't need to go into the various um, you know commendations about Candy because they are an, an awesome company that have contributed so much mm-hmm. to films like this. But I mean, for the budget they have to work with, some of the work they do is fantastic. I mean, didn't they have four different stage of the spider they had the, the mini mechanical they had the two foot the six foot and then the 30 foot spider so yeah which was just a, just a shell yeah you know which uh, which uh, Robert Kurtzman uh, said in Fangoria yeah. at the time uh, it was just the upper portion of the spider body with four legs so you could shoot over it or yeah, you could yeah, shoot yeah. under it you know to give the sense that the spider's attacking mm-hmm. um it is. Re- they are great. I think yeah. the practical effects are excellent. Um, you know, I put a tweet out the other day, and it sort of got a little bit of traction. Um, and I said that if if spiders had been made in the late eighties mm-hmm. as a as an effects exercise, we yeah. would be all over it. Mm-hmm. You know, it has got some great yucky, squelchy stuff in. You know, we've got the guy, uh, the the. Uh, the astronaut who survives the crash yeah. landing in the yeah, rocket that yeah. Marcy stumbles across. We've got the, the great birth of the mother-in-law spider out of his mouth, you mm-hmm. know, and to me that gives something like The Hidden a run for its oh, money in terms doubt. of gross mouth terror. Mm. Um, but, but when is this going to change? I mean, when is this going to change? We've got so many people knocking this movie uh, or, or shrugging it off, you know. Mm-hmm. We've seen tweets in the last couple of weeks that have, you know, just been the cursory mention uh, and a one-star review on Letterboxd. Yeah, um, what, what's this shit kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, when is this going to change? I mean, you know, it's 2019. It spiders its its, its 20th anniversary next year. I mean, surely, I mean, we're reevaluating it now and giving it the praise and the attention it needs. But when are the, the, the general public going to start getting into this kind of thing? You know, you know with stuff like that, it, it all, to me, it always seems... To be because of the CGI. Yeah. You know, maybe, you, you, you look at spiders, you look at any of the comments about it on IMDb or any of the reviews, they, they, they criticise the mm. CGI. Mm-hmm. I think, unfairly, um, you know, the CGI was done by Flat Earth Productions and they, they did it across the other two new image creature features we're going to talk about. Oh, was that Scott Coulter? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Coulter, Neil, um, and Doug Beswick oh, as well. He's right, one of the founders. Okay. Um right. But, you know, I, I don't think... Uh, I don't buy into any of that crap about the CGI being bad. No. I think it looks of the period, but I think yeah. it, it and it looks of the budget, but I think you can, you know, you can uh, accept it as part of the film's reality. Um, yes, I prefer the practical effects mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. Spiders. I mean, who wouldn't? As we said, the KNB stuff is, is marvellous. It's got a mm. wonderful, plasticky, cartoony quality to it. Yeah. But... The CGI for mm. me, it works. Um, I don't feel pulled out the movie, yeah. and uh, you know, even if I did, 
Hokey CGI can be just as charming as, as bad practical effects, I think. Especially when you look back and think, oh my God, wow, this was 20 years ago. Yeah. We've come such a long way since then. And I've seen mainstream Hollywood movies <laughs> of, from the same time. And one, of the, one of the films I revisited for prep for this was Eraser, the Arnold Schwarzenegger vehicle. Of course, yeah. You know, and you'll find out why when we get onto Crocodile, but there's a bit with some CGI crocodiles in that. Mm. And the CGI in that like $100 million action blockbuster <laughs> looks a lot worse than Flat Earth's effects do in here. Right. You know? The other thing, um, I think people have a hard time accepting it sort of Accepting this creature feature that flirts with a post-stream sensibility. I see. Okay. okay. Not in the sense that Spiders is a post-modern film, no, although no, no. it does it does tip the hat to like other horror directors. You know, it's got it's got a little nod <laughs> to uh, John Ayres in there, with the yeah. lead, who of course was directing uh, Octopus for New Image at the time. It's got a little nod for Toby Hooper in yeah. there with the name of one of the characters. Um, but it's a teen-orientated film. You know, it's 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 basically teen, uh, late teenagers versus shady military types, yeah. and I think that most films post Scream, um, but pre sort of Saw, mm-hmm. the ones that feature teen characters do tend to get a hard rap purely because of the the people who didn't like Scream and didn't and they sort of lump spiders in with I this. See. Oh, it's just a dumb teen movie. It's it's dumb teen horror. Yeah. Um, yeah. While it does have elements of that, uh, I think, you know, like I said, if this was made in the 80s, we would be championing it, championing mm. this film. You mm. know, it's 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 beautifully, beautifully shot. It it's is, got some it? gorgeous production design. You know, when we've got the spider tear-assing around the military bunker, <laughs> and it looks like one of those great old um, army play sets that oh, you get yeah. for, like, you know, those little figures of a core. Yeah. You know, and it, it's got that great sort of vibe to it. Even, at times, I'd say... Um, Bits that remind me a bit of uh, Day of the Dead, you know, with, yeah. with the underground sort of stuff. Claustrophobic, cold, yeah, yeah. No. quite neutrally shaded. Yeah, I know you're coming from there. It is really well done. I mean, you're telling me off microphone about when they got outside. I mean, the desert, the Mojave Desert, for example. Yeah, you know, there's what's really great about it as well it's unashamedly Los Angeles yeah you know this was New Image would go on to just farm their productions out to Bulgaria mm-hmm. pretty much in the New Boyona studios over yeah. in Bulgaria now Spiders was shot in LA mm-hmm. so and as such there's some wonderful you know J- Gary Jones does some wonderfully cinematic things to sort of make mm-hmm. us realise that this is a film with great LA production value yeah. you know yeah. it, there is shots of the uh you know the power cables in the Mojave Desert? Right. Spiders has a few has has like a, an aerial shot of the same area where David Fincher shot Seven. Jeez. You know, mm. and it just it just adds so much to it, and it gives like it gives the film a real sweeping scope. Even though the mm. story ends up being a claust- fairly claustrophobic tale yeah. of this giant spider running around a military complex, going through all like the elevator shafts and things like that, goring all the army guys, but. It eventually explodes out into mm-hmm. the streets, out in out in LA, um, and it finishes. Uh, where was it? Brooks said shot. Was it on the stage? Uh, the center, convention, yeah, convention center yeah, was in LA. Um, yeah, they reshot the ending as well, didn't they? Mm. Uh, a couple of months after they wrapped. Uh, I, we don't know what the previous ending was, but I, I think that ending it suits it perfectly. It's just, it, it's it's a it's ten fifteen minutes of absolute carnage, mm. and it just wraps everything up in the most haywire, hectic 
And a classic creature on the rampage yeah, kind of way. Absolutely. You, know, we, absolutely. you go look back at the classic creature features. I mean, you referenced King Kong before. But it's that kind of style where it's just, that's how creature features should end. Mm. Just the, the most... Um, to, to showcase their power, yeah, you know, to show that these are these are a primal force, mm-hmm. and they are going to, they, they they will not stop. They will take over if mm. we can't fight back with them. So, how do you feel about this? The film, the film the, in the, general. The, I, I think Spiders is great. Yeah. I really do. Um, it's like I said, it's a it's a good story. Mm. Um, I think it's very well told. It's very economically told, but it doesn't feel cheap. It's got. No. It, it, it's very. The production design's amazing. Mm-hmm, the photography. Mm-hmm. It's got a much bigger feel to it than it ought to, and it's got that wonderful comic book vibe yeah. that, that Gary Jones films tend to have. You know, if you look at the rest of his CV, like uh, Jolly Roger, Masquerade at Cutters Cove, oh. the, the great pirate slasher movie. It's just, <laughs> you know, these th- these things could be ripped straight from like a copy of Weird Tales and yeah. stuff, you know. But, uh, I mean, for me, I know when, when Gary was being interviewed and, and he was sat down with, with Boaz, they were chatting mainly about the 50s period of Creature Features. For me, out of the three that we're going to talk about today, it's the most, it's the film that's most rooted in the 50s. It's the film that's most rooted in that era. And there are parts of it where you think, you know, you, you could switch your, your colour on the TV set down to black and white and it would play pristinely alongside, you know, we referenced them before, Tarantula and them. You're listening to Natural Selection, the home of the DTV Creature Feature. Right, so that was just a clip from Octopus that you guys have just heard there. Um, You know, this one's a tough one for me. I love Octopus. (laughs) Um, I love its director, John Ayres. I think is one of the most, uh, one of the most consistently interesting and probably one of the best straight-to-video directors and producers out there. But in terms of spiders, octopus, crocodile, it's the, it's the weakest of the three. Mm. And I, but I, I don't think you agree with that. I don't agree with that. And I'm not doing it to be deliberately, you know, contrary. Because I'll agree with you. It is the weakest of the three in so many respects. But it's the one I'm drawn to the most mm. because of its flaws, because of its issues. Um, you like the underdog. I like the, the underdog un- I like the it. underdog aspect of it. I mean, yeah, this is the one in prepping for this I've probably seen the most because mm. I just keep on getting drawn to it, like like a like not like a car crash that you're driving past in a motorway because <laughs> that would be no, cruel. Yeah, yeah, the film's not a car crash. It's, it's, it's a very well made oh, and very technically, you know, uh, some of it is involving off the scale. But it's just it, it's a film that fascinates me, and one of the things I'm most fascinated about is imagine this scenario, right? Mm-hmm. Pick a friend off the street. Or pick mm-hmm. a stranger off the street. Who cares? Right. Sit them in front of the TV, yeah? Mm-hmm. Put octopus on. Cover the main title card, obviously. Mm-hmm. And let them watch it. And then pause it on 43 minutes. Yeah? <laughs> pause right. it on 43 minutes. And I guarantee they would be completely oblivious 
as to one what the title is mm-hmm. and two what the thing what the main thing yeah. is about the film and that's what really attracts me to the film you're halfway through the picture one you haven't seen the, the creature mm. two you don't really know what the creature is mm. and three it's just this this insane blend of, of so many things you've got East European espionage you've got naval based military <laughs> thriller um, that's kind of almost awaiting mm. Michael Dudikoff to show up on stage and, and, and kind of you know fix the submarine yeah. or something um, but no you know 43 minutes and then we have Tentacles Ahoy um, which, which for me I just I just, I just like the, the the sheer bloody mindedness of it I like the mm. sheer sort of you'll wait you'll wait if you want to <laughs> yeah, it, it starts as a as, as, as a military thriller basically you know we're in that sort of military espionage military okay. espionage because we've got, we got I mean let, let's let's briefly run over the story for everybody mm-hmm. where you know we start off with a um a kind of catch up, a kind of flashback to 1950, blah, blah, blah. Oh, uh, the Cuban, uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis, crisis. Um, yes. Then we have a Russian nu- nuclear sub, mm-hmm. which is sunk by the US off the coast of Cuba. We move forward to present day Sofia, and we have a terrorist attacking the US Embassy. Played by the uh, great uh, Ravel Isyanov. Nicely so, pronounced. Yeah. Well, I, I, hope, I hope it's pronounced <laughs> that way. And if it isn't, it is now. Um, <laughs> of course, but I just feel we need to throw this in there, but Isyanov, uh, for creature feature aficionados, um, you may recognise him as the geeky spider expert in Jack Shoulder's Arachnid. Yes. Yeah, which is another... Uh, not a great film, but an interesting mm. one that we will get to, we I hope, at to. some point. But yeah, so Isyanov, terrorist in Sofia. Sorry for interrupting. That's Go for no it. problem. So then, he's captured by this uh, young, very wet behind the ears CIA agent, played mm-hmm. by um, Jay Harrington, who's accompanied by the brilliant British character actor Jeff Nuttall, who plays Henry Campbell. I mean, Jeff Nuttall, crazy. I mean, going back to the 60s, what's, what's going on with him? Oh, he's a poet, actor, ah. writer. Um, key part of the uh, British counterculture movement. Mm. Um, you know, he wrote a book called Bomb Culture in uh, 1968, and uh, really? one of the key texts about counterculture London. Mm. Um, but yeah, he's, he's sort of Harrington's overweight <laughs> mentor. Oh, he does I guess, well. You know, because well. Harrington, Harrington's a, he, he's the rookie agent, and he's oh, he a good is. old rookie agent. Um, so yeah, so, so poor old poor old Henry gets 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 uh, stricken down in the line of duty, and. Um, I mean, the exposition on this movie is a bit insane, to be honest, for the first 25 minutes. Yeah. Isn't it? We're, we're crazy. There, we're all there's over a the lot place. of stuff going on. Um, a lot of stuff going on. It's, you know, some sort of mad bomber that's been terrorising uh, yeah. the, the peaceful world. And we have Captain um, Shaw on this sub, who's like mm-hmm. been, been been pushed to one side to sort of sit on this sub and, and do nothing. Yeah. But the problem is, they want to they take this terrorist and they want to take it to America, but in the most undercover way possible. Mm-hmm. So the only way to do this is surely to. Via submarine. Stick him in a submarine. Genius. Yeah. Um, it, it, yeah, it takes a while to get going. There's a lot of, mm. there is a lot of threads woven into uh, Octopus's narrative. Mm. But I, it's not a boring film by no. any stretch. No, you know, no, no. if you are going into it wanting to see an octopus <laughs> going tentacle crazy, it's probably going to disappoint you. But if you're going in wanting to be engaged um, mm-hmm. entertained it's a great movie 
Mm. You know, we once once they get on that sub, uh, you've got the grizzled sea captain who's pissed off that Harrington's yeah. there, like you said. Uh, then you've got uh, Isyanov's terrorist who escapes. Mm-hmm. You've got Rico Ross, a yeah. John Brickman. A's regular, mm-hmm. yeah, for, who uh, who'd pop up in Project Shadow Chaser and Project Shadow Chaser 3000 for the mm-hmm. Octopus Director, um, and of course Aliens. You got him on there as a sub tech. Um, and to top it all off, then you've got an octopus attack. Genius. That just sort of comes out of nowhere mm. and the film does a from Dustle Dawn style <laughs> shift from espionage into um I don't want to say a deep a deep rising sort no, no, of because no. uh, it's very much its own beast I think you know that'd be a lazy comparison on my part just because they've got tentacles you know like if this is to deep rising what deep blue sea is to jaws just because it contains a shark doesn't mean it's jaws just because it mm-hmm. contains tentacles doesn't mean it's deep rising <laughs> and we haven't even mentioned the cruise ship Oh, good God, no, that's it. <laughs> but, and again, that that sort of seeges into it with it another does. plot strand because it turns out the terrorist, Isyanov's terrorist, has got some uh, modern-day pirate <laughs> friends of his to hijack a cruise ship yeah. and to track his location mm-hmm. across, the, across the ocean in this cruise ship. It's the only way to do it, quite frankly, isn't it? Yeah. Speedboat. And no. you totally cruise know ship. that the cruise ship was thrown in there because that was the poster. <laughs> You know, so we're gonna we oh, right, yeah. we've got an octopus attack and a cruise liner. How do we get from espionage to a sub to a cruise liner? Classic new image, high concept. High you know? concept. So there's three things there that should appear. If you want to see an octopus attacking a sub, yeah, this movie's for you. Check. If you want to see it attacking a cruise liner, this movie's Check. for you. Yeah. And if you like a bit of espionage, you know, mm. Cold War espionage, big thing at the ter- mm. turn of the year. Uh, not Cold War, sorry, but uh, sort of Eastern European yeah. military espionage. Big thing at the turn of the millennium, oh, where you, you know you had uh, you had the last run, the Anthony Hickox film, mm-hmm. and a whole manner of made for cable productions like that that were popping up on UK video. So Octopus is hitting a lot of bases here. Yeah. Does it work? Does it work? No, it doesn't. <laughs> Across <laughs> the board, you know, as a full package, no, it doesn't mm-hmm. work. But it has sections in it mm-hmm. which 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 go beyond working. That that they they work so brilliantly, so technically brilliantly that it's just sublime I mean the last 30 minutes for me quite possibly supersedes anything in spiders and crocodile wow for a for yeah. a block of time for an extended I mean, there, chunk there okay. are moments there are moments yeah. in spiders that are fl- flawless mm. there are moments in crocodile that are flawless but for a one section you know strong third section of the film the final third I, d- I don't think that either croc or spiders mm. uh, match that in in terms of where that goes. Yeah, I know that's a bold claim, and I'm not, not saying it to be, like I said earlier, some contrary nut job. Um, but yeah, for me, I, I think that works. But you, you, I mean, you disagree. Um, like I tend to judge as a creature feature. I can see why it'd be disappointing. Mm. Okay, but I what I enjoy most about Octopus is that it is a John Ayres movie Mm. I think John Ayres is a genius Um, well tell me a little bit more about him well John Ayres was a he began as a bread delivery man he was delivering bread around Cardiff when him and his mate uh, Jeff uh, Griffith I believe his name was decided to uh, take a punt on the burgeoning video market so Mm. they made a little slasher movie called Lucifer yeah 
Okay, um, they'd follow that with like extra or two. Um, a strange sort of British uh, American gangster film called Slow Burn. Mm. Um, but John Ayres would really, really find his feet with the Project Shadow Chaser yeah, series, yeah. which, of course, New Image ended up picking up from the second one, and right. which is how he became part of the New Image fold. Yeah. So John Ayres, his movies can be sort of defined by an eccentricity. Mm-hmm. They're designed to move. You know, that wonderful Joe Bob Briggs thing, this movie moves, and mm-hmm. John Ayres' films very much do that. Mm. You know, they yes, they shift... Um, plot points willy nilly a great you know if you look at something like From Beyond the Grave aka mm. Judge and Jury which is his his masterpiece without doubt it's a very eccentric film it's, mm. it, it starts in fifth gear and it goes a million miles <laughs> an hour tear assing through a whole manner of things yeah. Octopus does something very similar but what appeals to me about it is it's a very very large budget John Ayres film mm. it's the biggest budget of the free creature features from uh, New Image yeah this was a, this was about a 4.5 million Jesus. dollar budget you know, so and it's got a great big feel for it, mm. which I think Ayers does really, really well. When he, when you when he's allowed to cut loose on something like Conspiracy of Fear, mm. you know, he's he's got a real great sense of framing and of scope. Mm. You know, having said that though, the stuff in the submarine that's that's the money stuff. When the tentacles yeah. start coming, when the octopus starts attacking the submarine, about what fifty minutes in, when those tentacles are going down the submarine's place, that is just it it's just wonderfully tight and claustrophobic. He doesn't know? overdo it either, really, doesn't he? He he doesn't overdo it. It's used they used mm. the effects quite sparsely. I don't think that was financial. I think it's more the suggested rather than in your face yeah. and, and, and really bombarding you with that sort of kind of octopus theme mayhem octopus theme mayhem. It was it was very sort of yeah, quite reserved in mm. the way that they did that. Yeah, which yeah. I think is more effective. What the, the the rubber tentacle effects mm. are very cool. They were they were done by a guy who uh, this reeks of a pseudonym, but I assure you it isn't. His name is Willie Bother. B O T H A A South African guy. Um, and he, the, the the practical tentacle effects are great. I mm. wish there was I wish there was more of them because one of the criticisms that I would lend to Octopus, but it goes a little too much in the favour of CGI yeah. that's not to say the CGI is bad again it's I think mm. I think the, the, the pockets of CGI that are a little bit ropey they're certainly charming mm-hmm, you know there's mm-hmm. a definite charm to them um, but there's a little bit too much CGI for the octopus when really Willy Bob's tentacle effects fantastic yeah. and the miniature work from Mark Harris mm. you know you look at that fine yeah. the, the, the shot of the the uh, cruise ship uh, in the night you've got yeah. the lightning and then you've got the, the octopus's mm. tentacles flickering around at the bottom of the frame Absolutely it's just perfect. it's wonderful you know um, it's it's just marvellous marvellous stuff this is the first group from Michael D. Weiss isn't it I mean mm-hmm. that's got correct yeah quite a quite a history with sequels hasn't he I mean what did he do US Seals 2 he did a sequel to I'll always know what he did last summer mm-hmm. he did a sequel to Butterfly Effect Hostel Scorpion King Jarhead he's a sequel guy yeah he's a, the, the straight to video sequel guy uh, uh, from very much a man after our own heart by uh, looking at his credits you know <laughs> um, but again Weiss he, he built the story from a Boaz Davidson treatment yeah. which uh, was built of course from the cruise ship poster which is on the dvd um weiss thought he'd also have a hand in crocodile he wrote the first draft of the crocodile script oh, right, yeah before jace anderson and adam girash yeah. who also wrote spiders um <laughs> or had or at least 
had a little bit of input into spiders. Mm. Um, you know, he he wrote the first stab at crocodile before going on there. So he, again, he was he was very much in the new image world at the yeah. time. Um, he's currently uh, a teacher at UCLA oh, really? now. Yeah, yeah. He uh, was former vice president of production at Miramax, and he's now uh, right. teaching at UCLA's writers program. Wow! So there you go. But um, yeah, in in terms of script. He, he he has a lot of a lot of things that he needs to wrap up, and I mm. think he does so by the time the film's closed. I and, think so. You know, and I think in terms of again, it's another good, entertaining and engaging story, uh, and it's well directed. Um, it's just as a pure creature feature, it's not quite as pure as Spiders or Crocodile for me. You're listening to Natural Selection. The home of the DTV Creature Feature. Get out of the water! It's Don't get into the water! Yeah, yeah, yeah. That joke's been done to death, man. Guys, come on! Oh, oh my God! Oh. Oh. On to our final New Image Creature Feature of this debut episode of Natural Selection. And we have Crocodile to look under the microscope at. And... I mean, I mean, you I've are been waiting you are, for this one. You are the crocodile man. I mean, I think I probably overlooked this film, you know, initially, until you know we we we, we sort of got to know each other all those many years ago, um, and since since that time, you know, I've I've rewatched it multiple times, and it is it's like a new movie to me. So, so tell me about your history with this film, and tell me about your history with Toby. I uh, I sort of crocodile was sort of. Fill my force on people. You know, I, I, I will. I am very, very aware of its flaws. Yeah, I know what, yeah. what I, I know what it does well and what it doesn't. But I adore this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, this came. I first saw it at a very impressionable time uh, mm-hmm. when I was about fifteen years old. It was one of the first DVDs I ever got, right. um, and I was beginning to get Hooper obsessed. Mm-hmm. And this, and along with Spontaneous Combustion, Night Terrors, and the Mangler, his sort of his most maligned movies. The, those are the ones that, as much as I love the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yeah, I think it is those movies that define Toby Hooper as a filmmaker for me. You know, right. they represent the style, the humour, and just the sheer unwavering sense of crazy. <laughs> to him. You know, it's Crocodile is a blast, yeah. absolute blast. Um, I, I said earlier, there is no way in hell I would have wanted Toby Hooper to have directed Spiders as much as I would like to have seen it, mm. because Crocodile wouldn't have happened. And I think Crocodile is a wonderful, wonderful creature feature. It, it, it embodies everything that we should cherish about straight-to-video creature features. Mm. Okay. Um, it's got... Uh, it's got the, the the good looking cast. You know they're all very, very very easy on the eye for the most part. Um, it's got a tremendous wit and energy about mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. and more than anything, as a complete and utter nut for the uh, auteur theory. I think it, it's just rife with some Hooper obsessions. You know You're the, right? fil- the, the films are a total. A stealth remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> you know, this Crocodile is Hooper exploring the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the sort of themes he established in that, in in regards to uh, you know the working man, the the uh, element of campfire tales, yeah. which is the quality that he said attracted him to the script yeah. to begin mm. with. 
Um, and you know, and it's just an ab- if, if you're a Toby Hooper fan, this movie's an absolute feast for as much as if you are a creature feature nut as well. I mean, Toby mentioned that when he first got around to making this film, one of the first things he did was sit down with the kids mm. and make them watch a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. So it's obvious that that kind of tonal connection mm. was in the forefront of his mind. You know, it was made on it, it's roughly around about the same time as the 25th anniversary of Chainsaw. That's right, you know, yeah. At the time, you had the, the, the wonderful David Gregory documentary, The, uh, the Shocking Truth, getting yeah. put together. You know, so to my mind, it was very much at the, the forefront of Toby's thinking that, you know, this is a time in my career now hmm. where I can sort of re-examine my legacy. Yeah. You know? Um, but, you know, some might say I'm going out on a limb, mm-hmm. but yeah, he, he does sort of recapture the same intensity as Chainsaw in Crocodile. Um you know, like Chainsaw and uh, and, the, and most of Hooper's work, Crocodile's got that same escalating sense of craziness. Yeah. So you know, there's there's also a lot of other similarities between. You know, you've got the teens and the youngsters at the start yeah. of Crocodile, as they are in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. True. They're going away. They're going to have a little break yeah. somewhere. Same thing. You know. Um, there's also the the sense of heat. To it as well, yeah. you know. If yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is an incredibly sweaty, incredibly muggy film, mm-hmm. um, Crocodile visually, um, it's a lot crisper. It's very MTV like. You mm-hmm. know, it looks very much like something mm-hmm. that would play on MTV, circa two thousand. You know, it's like a like a kid rock video at yeah. times. Yeah. You know, but it still has that warmth to it. It's you know, it's set in spring. It's got gorgeous blue skies. Um, you. You know, you you feel like you're on holiday watching it. You can feel the the heat and the spring the, spring break vibe, like just emanating from the screen. Um, so you got these kids, mm-hmm. and they're going away. Mm-hmm. Where do they go? How do they do it? Where do they end up? What happens? So spring break, they go to a little lake out. Um, I believe it, it's supposed to be set in California, I think. But you've got some uh, in a place called Sobek Lake. Yeah. But you've got obviously the sort of redneck crackers that pop up in it as as would. But these kids, they're going away, just having a good time, beer, pot, mm-hmm. drinking on a houseboat. One of them, obnoxious asshole called Duncan, <laughs> and his mate Hubs. Um, they uh, happen across some crocodile eggs. Yeah. Uh, they decide to put one of these crocodile eggs in the backpack of the token good girl mm-hmm. um, as a bit of a joke. And this crocodile called Flat Dog, <laughs> this um, hundred year old, hundred year old Nile crocodile, that uh, in a strange sort of callback to eating alive, was brought over yeah. by a, a hotelier. All right. um, and used as a tourist attraction. Joking. And of course, um, in you know, it, it's got the little nods to who was mm. eaten alive there, mm. because that, of course, is the entire story yeah. of yeah. eaten alive. Yeah. Um, but this hotelier brought this crocodile back, used it as a tourist attraction, and somehow, I'm not entirely sure how, because it's never gone into... It, uh, he decides to form a crocodile cult. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just... Again, well, to me, that's classic Toby. Yeah. You know, that's classic Hooper. That is giving you a little bit more of the story than you necessarily need and never going into it, but it's there. It fires the imagination. Mm. You know, it gives you a, a bit to chew on. I like the contrast between those two cultures. You've mm. got the tanned and the toned spin breakers, mm-hmm. you know, but then you've got the very Hooper-esque 
backwards populace, really. Mm. I mean, led by the brilliant redneck Shurkin. Oh, just, yeah. I mean, how good is Terence Evans? He's amazing. Fantastic performance. Just a wonderful uh, him, and it's one of the uh, co-writers, Adam Gear, yeah, who plays really. his sidekick, Lester. <laughs> it's the two, uh, the two Gator farmers, which uh, they Gator farm, and again in another sort of, I'm deconstructing Texas Chainsaw mm-hmm. here. It's pretty much decorated like Leatherface's yeah, living room. Yeah, it is, isn't it? You know, you've got you've got the bones, you've got the taxidermy, mm. and then uh, you've got Shirkin, who is, for all intents and purposes, just a sort of Reskinned version of the cook, <laughs> absolutely. You yeah. know, the, 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 this, this sort of blue collar grotesque. You know, and they, they, both him and Lester live in this broken down world of uh, nostalgia, mm. and they're they sort of like these frontier woodsmen. Um, you know, like a kind of a cross between Sunset Boulevard and mm. Davy Crockett. Yeah. You know, they're these guys who sort of are longing for the for the the swamp of old. Mm. Mm. You know, um, just this Shirkin's this wonderfully embittered gator hunter, and there's this implication that he just he hates the aspirational nature of the man <laughs> who brought this gator back in the first yeah, place. Yeah. The hate of it was intensified by, mm-hmm. as we find out, that Shirkin's my grandpappy and my pappy <laughs> were killed by this flat dog yeah. crocodile. You know, so and again, that gives more parallels with with Chainsaw um, and and even subsequent Hooper films like Eaten Alive and The Mangler and The Fun House and Poltergeist. You know, this whole idea that these people hate progress. These, these mm. sort of grotesque characters are against uh, progress, and it's progress that brings them out into the open. But there's fabric to the creature, isn't it? There's a depth to the creature. There's a backstory mm. to the creature. We we don't have this in in most creature features. No, no. the creature is just there. You know, it's just there. With with no history, with nothing, but here we have a crocodile, which has a hundred years of history, which mm. has people attached to its various, you know, states of of being. Yeah, which I think gives the film just another dimension that that, that so few creature features have. It uh, you know it links in with what what we said about the the campfire tale. That's yeah. what attracted Hooper to mm-hmm. to the project. Yeah. Um, his films are rich in mythology. Mm-hmm. Um. And you know this the creature. It's a mother's revenge made flesh. You know, basically, mm. it, it, mm. that creature would have left them alone if they hadn't started faffing around with its eggs. Yeah. You know, which adds a. You know, it 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 really adds to a a primal element to mm. it. You know, and it's sort of, I guess, it sort of links in with the whole alien motherhood sort of analogy in some yeah. roundabout, more naturalistic way. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, it's it's a great creation, the crocodile. I um I think it's I think it's marvellous. It's it is a little bit hokey, but it's another great um K and B creation like spiders. Yeah, we're K and B again, aren't we? And like spiders mm-hmm. they had their four different models. They had the what hydraulic croc, the swimming croc, the land croc and the swallow croc. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, yeah. you know? But yeah. but every incarnation of that crocodile works perfectly. So, yeah. yeah. It's perfect for the specific uh, the, the, use yeah, of the functionality. Is yeah. It was built with. Uh, I mentioned earlier. I watched it. Watched Eraser. Yeah. You know, and the, the CGI uh, gators in that are terrible. But the, the hmm. bursts of practical um, were actually done by Kane B, and they harvested right. the parts from Eraser <laughs> to make Flat Dog. Amazing. In uh, in Crocodile, but um, you know, I think it's. Uh, it does. It does look cool. The CGI yeah. again. People will probably go on about it being hokey, but as with octopus, as with spiders, mm. it fits within the world of the movie. Yeah. You know, um, the stuff when they shoot the, the crocodile at night mm-hmm. is uh, it looks marvelous, both for CGI and the practical stuff. 
Um, well, how do you think the kids did? Because you've got a situation where, you know, the casting director, Kathy Henderson-Martin, met with 2,000 mm-hmm. auditionees, which is, which is nuts. I mean, Toby and, and Frank Demartini, the producer, they saw a couple of hundred themselves to whittle yeah. it down to what, seven, wasn't it? Yeah, to, to look um, for raw talent. Yeah, I mean, how did they did? Um, personally, I don't think they harnessed the raw talents. I think mm. one of the weakest aspects of Crocodile is... Um, not necessarily the acting, but yeah. the fact that if you want to look at it in a conventional, do I like these characters kind mm-hmm, of way, mm-hmm. for the most part, no. No. No, no they are, they are quite an unlikable bunch. Yeah. However, in, if that works in a sense that I want to see them get eaten. <laughs> you know, I care and I, I'm going to keep watching because Hooper's having too much fun having his crocodile chow down on these idiots. Yeah. You know? And... Yeah, I, th- I think that uh, it's it's not the acting; it's a problem of the scripting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that that's fair enough. So we've got Sam first and Berg directing second unit on this, mm-hmm. who we know well and went on to yeah, direct. Of course, go on to direct Spiders too. He did, mm-hmm. and then we've got Toby's old friend, the editor, Alan Jakubowicz. Is it? Um, oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Who, who of course yeah. made TCM two with Toby, Night Terrors, and Invaders from Mars. So mm-hmm. there's a few familiar faces in the background, um, but generally speaking, I mean, yeah, this this is Toby on good form, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, and you have to remember as well. I mean, I I personally I want to rewrite history here because mm. I don't think Night Terrors and the Mangler are not failures as movies. Are. They are both <laughs> fantastic, fantastic horror movies and Toby Hooper films. However. Crocodile was his first feature made in about five years when his career had, you know, by this time, hmm. Hooper was seen as down and out. You yeah. Know, he, he'd been on, if you were being particularly cruel, he's, he's been on one long downhill slide since Poltergeist. Hmm. And, you know. Did, his, he, did he direct Poltergeist? He absolutely directed <laughs> Poltergeist. He absolutely directed Poltergeist. I will fight anyone who dares say <laughs> otherwise. But, uh,. You know, in his canon trilogy had sort of, of mm. Life Force Invaders yeah. from Mars and Texas Chainsaw 2 had derailed him, Spontaneous Combustion had derailed him further. He were, you know, he were, and while this never got a theatrical release, it yeah. did for me show that, well, it showed people who counted him down out that he still had a bit of life left in him. He could yeah. still have fun, he could still play with convention and stuff. And of course, without Crocodile, which was co-written by Jace Anderson yeah, and yeah. Uh, Adam Girash, mm-hmm. he wouldn't have had his uh, quote-unquote comeback picture of a toolbox murders. Do you think Crocodile was pivotal to that? Absolutely, yeah. yeah because, and, I, and I think if you watch Crocodile back-to-back with the toolbox murders, which, mm. by the way, is, is excellent... Um, you can see a lot of similarities. There's that similar playfulness, mm-hmm. you know. As I say, even though it's a lot, it's it's a nastier film, but there's still a sort of a dark humour and Hooper having fun with the material and just relax. There's a very relaxed approach to them. Yeah, you know that's not to say his direction isn't tight, mm. because it, it. I mean, good God, we said about spiders being jumpy, but Crocodile has some tremendous jump scares. It does. It. It really does. Yeah, some great stuff. I mean, things didn't run smoothly. They had a, a union issue, a union issue, didn't they? Whereas mm-hmm. they were shut down. They were filming in LA. Yeah, Los Angeles. And they were shut down, and we uh, we relocated to Mexico. But you know that that's, that's fairly seamlessly done. There's no real jarring sort of. Uh, no, I mean you, you can't tell, and it's you know it's got. The sun sort vibe, it's just that generic California watering hole type mm-hmm. place with a couple of hicks put in it. It could be any, anywhere in the USA. You know, you know it, you know it's a spring break place. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And you know, I mean, what, what do you do? You, do you enjoy crocodile? Do you I like enjoy it film? immensely. It, it grows on me every time I watch it. To be honest, mm. um, I won't say I discounted the first time I saw it, but you know, with sort of your influence, <laughs> um, it has been engraved because you do tend to approach things with with not big, not with the idea of what you've read about them critically, but it's always in the back of your mind that you know. You don't. You can. You can discount something uh, mm. fairly easily. It, it's. It's so harder. So much harder to uh, to reverse what people have already said and, and swim against the tide when there's an active campaign to sort of you know try, try and forget about films like this, especially Toby Hooper, because there's so many people out there that are just trying to discount every one of his films. Since, you know, since mm. Poltergeist, as you say. So yeah, it's really grown on me to be honest. But I, I think it, it forms a perfect trilogy with the the Girish Anderson movies. Really, you know, Mortuary as well. Mm. Yeah, they all they all have. Crocodile encapsulates a sense of fun, mm-hmm. very well made, and it ticks. It gives you what you want. You want to see people get eaten. There you go. You want to have some jumps. There you go. It's just a quality director video creature feature. You can't get much simpler than that. So when people press stop and they go home or they go back out of the car or they go out of the office and they think, right, let me see some of these creature features. Where do you begin? Where are you going to begin? Crocodile? I'd go crocodile would first you? off. Yeah, I would go I would go crocodile because if you can get if 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 you can get past the annoying teenagers in mm-hmm. that, you can get into anything else. Yeah. I'd then I would always, always, always put octopus in the middle. Would you? You know, yeah. I, it's like the uh, the Empire Strikes Back kind of thing. It's a little, it's a little bit more languid. It is a, touch, yeah. it, it's still very over the top and silly at times, but it's a little bit darker. It's a little bit more serious, you know, with the espionage stuff in there and the terrorism. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I'd finish on spiders because it is just wonderful um, seeing. Uh, La, what's she, what she called again? Lana Pirelli. Yeah. Lana Pirelli blasting a bazooka at a uh, Lana Lana Perilla, Sorry, but yeah, I would finish with that because it ends with her blasting a bazooka at a giant spider on top of a building. That's a great order, to be honest. And we may disagree on you know various qualities of these movies, but yeah, I, I think that'd be a good approach to take. And we're done. So we'll see you next time on Natural Selection. Yeah. See you later. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out the Schlock and Awe page on Instagram. While you're welcome to stalk Maddie and Dave on Twitter. See you next time on Natural Selection. So, as promised, here's our chat with the extremely affable Stephen David Brooks. FX wizard to begin with, he of course went on to write a sublime adaptation of Stephen King's The Mangler before penning that new image creature feature of the highest order, Spiders. We started off by asking Stephen about his early days in Hollywood and how his relationship with the iconic Toby Hooper came about. Well, I, I mean, my day job when I was an amateur screenwriter and before I was a director was uh, in visual effects. I fell into visual effects. Yeah. And, and uh, started working at a company called Apogee in Van Nuys, California, which was the facility was the original ILM when they did Star Wars. They still had like Luke's X-wing fighter model in the lobby, and I knew it was that kind of place. Right. And I worked, and I worked on some Toby Hooper movies, but never actually met him. I saw him around. Yeah. Um, and I worked my way up quickly to visual effects supervisor, and John Dykstra 
an official effects supervisor for Star Wars and so on, said, Toby needs someone who can handle some fire effects. Uh, go up and meet him. Mm. So first time I ever face-to-face met Toby was at his house. Um, I had come back from Canada where I'd shot a where I worked on some visual effects and shot a bunch of explosions and fire, so I had a VHS tape of fire, a fire reel. So I went up and I met Toby for the first time. Yeah. And sitting in his Beverly Hills house, you know, there's the, uh, one of the masks from, uh, one of the, the, um, leather face masks from <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Master 2 on a little mannequin right by, sitting behind him. Wow. Rewind. Let's rewind a couple of years to spontaneous combustion. I mean, oh, I, yeah, I, forgot to mention, I forgot to mention the name of the movie, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I write with another guy, and and um, it, it, it's it's one of our favorite Toby movies. But it was a very troubled yeah. production, wasn't it? I mean, it was plagued by producer yeah. interference. Um, I mean, what what what, yeah. what happened over that? Well, 
interference as in, you mean during the, the course of the production? Yeah. Well, it was just, it was a low-budget movie. Mm. Um, by the way, just a little side note, um, to, I'm actually an actor in it. Um, very bad actor. I'm the orderly. When Brad Dourif comes into the hospital and, like, the guy comes up with a wheelchair and wheels him into the other room, that's me as the orderly. Oh. I'm also the cop that shoots after Brad and he drives away in that old Studebaker or whatever. That's me with right. gray hair. <laughs> my acting debut. No, oh, impressive. Um, anyway, um, you know, it was like every movie, you know, it's so funny, every movie is the same. Yeah. You have the director who wants the moon and you have producers who want it, who want to limit the spending. Mm. Um, and so, it, and as a visual effects supervisor, I was always standard between the two. Yeah. Toby would want a shot, and then the producer would say, we're not paying for that shot. Mm-hmm. Well, Toby would shoot a plate and cut it into the movie. And, and this is not just Toby, it's a common tactic of directors. You shoot a plate, you put it in the movie, and then you show it to the producers, and they go, well, that shot doesn't work, there are no effects. And Toby goes, well, you have to pay for the effects. Mm-hmm. So they, you force the producers to ante up more money to finish the effects because the shot's cut into the movie. I see. So it was, it was really just that kind of thing. There was no like personal animosity and so on. And, and it was an odd group of producers. Um, there was this guy, this lawyer named Henry Bushkin, who was Johnny Carson's lawyer. I don't know if you're old enough to remember Johnny yeah, Carson. Yeah. Amer- American chat show host, famous mm. chat show host. Yeah. Um, uh, and he always joked about his lawyer, Henry Bushkin. So Henry was one of the producers. And the other producer was um, Arthur Sarkissian, who went on to produce um, uh, one of those movies with Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker. Um, Rush Hour. Uh, yeah, Rush Hour. And he, and he became quite a big producer. I think this was his first movie as a producer. Mm. And I never was quite sure who found the money and where that came from. But Arthur and Henry were also kind of not necessarily in sync on things, you know. Henry yeah. would say one thing to me, and Arthur would say something else. And Toby, of course, would say something else. I was sort of always navigating that. But in terms of difficulty and conflict and stuff, it was all just normal movie making. I there see. was nothing out of the ordinary that, you know. Yeah, because there was a rumor. <laughs> there was a, there was a rumor that the film got taken out of Toby's hands towards the end. No. Um, I mm. know we did go back we went back and reshot the ending mm. the ending with Brad Dourif sort of melting and going into the ground and yeah. all that Yeah. that was uh, that was not the original ending I don't remember what the original ending was but that was like three four months later after wrapping we went back and shot for a night um, shot the ending no I don't recall it being taken out of his hands because they wouldn't have reshot his ending sure I mean, yeah. they may have gone, they may have gone in and Edit, but I don't, and it wasn't one of these things where it was completely taken away and they locked him out of the No, interview. no, no. Mm. Nothing like that. He was in it until the end. Okay, but what was his opinion on the finished film? Was it something he ever talked about? Was it something he ever considered to be uh, good or not so good or, or a stain on his CV or anything? Was he quite proud of it? No, no, no. I'm sure David Lean 
to his dying day wondered whether or not Lawrence of Arabia was any good. Because mm. you get so close to it that you can't judge anymore. Yeah. And, but it's like a child where you love the child no matter what. You know, even if other people say, oh, we don't like your child very much, mm-hmm. but you do because you created it. So, no, but he, he Toby was the kind of guy who would make a film and then that would be it and then he'd move on to the next one. Yeah, yeah. He didn't yeah. watching them over and over again and so on. But no, he was very proud of it and he was proud of what we did for a really low budget. I don't know what the budget was, but it was very, very low. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's fast forward. So The Mangler is done and you're working with Toby again and of course Spiders began as a Spiders began as a Toby project, didn't it? So how did that uh, develop? Yes. Yes. So I mean Toby and I had been writing things together and going around town and pitching. We had the same agent. Mm -hmm. And then one day he called up and said, Let's go meet Boaz Davidson in New Image. I go, Okay. I mean I knew who Boaz was, I'd never met him. And we go in and Boaz starts talking about a giant spider movie that Toby was going to direct. Mm. And uh, the meeting ended, and I'm used to Hollywood meetings where you have a meeting, and then you never hear from the person again. Yeah. Because in Hollywood, people have meetings just to have meetings. But New Image is not like that. They don't waste any time. Most mm. efficient filmmaking organization I've ever experienced. So, like, two days later, Boaz calls. He goes, are we making a deal? Are we writing the movie? I go, oh, well, I didn't know we're doing it. He goes, no, <laughs> we meant we're doing it. I go, okay. He goes, you know, so called my agent, made a deal. I went in to meet with him. Uh, and at this point, it's like a, I'm remembering like a week after that initial meeting, um, Toby had called to say, uh, you know, you go ahead and write Spiders. I'm going to direct Crocodile. Yeah. Which was called Fat Dog at the moment. Because that script was already written. It was really far along. And New Image did not write a script and then wait six months to shoot. They'd write it. Before the ink was dry, they'd start shooting. Mm-hmm. They were, they were, yeah, they were, as Boaz would say, they were a factory. So Toby went ahead and uh, was directing shooting Crocodile while I was writing Spiders. So, um, so the genesis of Spiders was it's a, a tremendous lesson in how new image works. I mean, it's very much in the mold of what Canon Films did, mm. and definitely in the mold of what a lot of the indie producers from the 60s and 70s did American International Pictures, of course, Roger Corman. Yeah. Um, and what they would do is, I mean, so Boaz sat down and he goes, okay, movie about giant spiders. And he shows me the poster, <laughs> a mock-up poster of a spider ripping the roof off a car on the 405 freeway, which is a big freeway in Los Angeles. Yeah. He goes, it has to end with a spider eating a car because our Japanese buyer wanted a spider to eat a car. <laughs> okay. So, he goes, now, let's start it in some underground caves because we have a cave set in Bulgaria. Right. Okay. So, it had to start in caves, end up on the 405 freeway. <laughs> so, those are the parameters. So, I started working on an outline. Um, you know, he goes, look, just take two, three days, write something, send it to me, we'll meet and we'll keep meeting. Because Boaz was very intimately involved in the story. Because, um, you know, he was a director and a writer, and he also knows the sales end, so he's getting the information for what the sales people need. Um, so anyway, we have our second meeting. He reads the outline, goes, okay, this is a good start. We go from the caves of uh, 
mm-hmm. I think it was, uh, to a university, uh, university students in California to end up on the 405 freeway. <laughs> so the second meeting, Trevor Short, who was one of the executives at New Image, comes in, and this is like 1996, 97, something there, comes in with a VHS tape, puts it in, uh, the machine turns on the TV and it's space shuttle footage because this is HD space shuttle footage. HD was a big deal then, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. TV wasn't HD yet, really. Um, and he goes, HD space shuttle footage. And Trevor goes, we can get this for free. It's a shots of astronauts floating and all sorts of space shots. And Boeing looks at me and goes, can we start in space, then go to the caves, then end up on the 405 freeway? <laughs> now, I had never written, I'd done, I only did one work for hire, which was The Mangler, but that yeah. was based on a short story. This is sort of not based on anything other than sales mm. and what's available. So, you know, Trevor left the room and Boaz closed the door and he was very honest for what he goes, my friend, we are not a movie company. We are a sales company. We sell a movie based on a poster we get pre-sales money, tells us how much we can spend, we then make a movie to make a trailer and a new poster. (laughs) We sell the trailer and the poster, and by the time anybody sees the movie, it's too late. (laughs) Amazing, amazing. So so then I got it, right? So that's why the movie starts in space. Um, And I don't even remember, did we go to the caves or did we avoid the caves? lose the caves at some point. I don't remember now. No, they I know were it starts in space, yeah. it goes to the university, for the long time I've seen it. Are the caves still in there? No, no, no. Okay, that's all gone. Right, so we start in space, go to the university, and then end up on the freeway. Yeah, right? yeah. Okay. <laughs> that was it. Plus, they had, I think they had destroyed the sets, the, the cave sets anyway, to make room for something else, so there was no point writing for caves because they didn't have cave sets anymore. <laughs> So that was the genesis of it. And then about two drafts in, um, Toby brought in Gary Jones. Yeah. Uh, who had directed, he was a makeup effects guy. He had directed the second unit and then first unit on Cena, Warrior Princess. He's from Michigan, so he knew Rob Tapert and Sam Rainey mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from Michigan. Um, and Gary went ahead and directed Mosquito, which was a micro-budget movie. Yeah. I don't know if he put it on credit cards or got some investors, but you know, using his makeup effect skills and so on. And because he did a creature movie, Mosquito, mm. he thought, well, perfect for spiders. He yeah. handles yeah. creatures. How, 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 what so, to, to what degree did his involvement change things? Uh, quite a bit, actually. So mm. Gary, uh, Boaz was busy doing... They were making like a bunch of creature movies at once. Yeah. So Boaz said, we're going to get you an office at, and it's at this small studio in Hollywood, I forget the name of it, but a place like where Buster Keaton used to work. Right. It's a really tiny studio, and Gary and I went in there every day for several weeks, just locked ourselves in a room and started reworking the script. Um, and we eventually got a script that Gary was happy with, and then... Uh, we, um, you know, went to the process. They eventually brought in other writers, which was a whole political thing that happened. Um, it was still essentially my script. Um, and then they went ahead and started shooting. 
Yeah, because. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah, the, yeah. What? What was? Why did? Where were the other writers brought in? Because wasn't it um, uh, Jace and, 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 and Adam? Yeah. Um, yes. I mean. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I know Toby. Uh, not Toby. Uh, Boaz brought them in to rewrite Crocodile. Mm. And rewrote a bunch of the movies, and I don't know why. Um, you know, at the time, that's the first time that had ever happened to me. I took it personal. Yeah, yeah. But years later, Gary goes, it wasn't personal. It was a political move, and it had nothing to do with him. And, I, you know, I should have known that because two weeks, I would go to set when Gary was shooting Spiders, which shot in L.A., and two weeks in, Boaz goes, I want to talk to you about Spiders 2. Right. Oh, okay. And we started writing Spiders 2 while Spiders 1 was being shot. Oh, really? So I realized, okay, it wasn't personal. It was just some other reason, you know. Mm-hmm. Because you, I mean, writers are, are dispensable in, in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you you were on the set, obviously, because you've got a cameo as a police officer. So, so what what was the what was the vibe on set well, like? What kind of shoot was it? Oh, I mean, spiders on spiders. Yeah. Well, it was also they we shot the ending. Right. It did not end at the L.A. Convention Center with all the police and the helicopter and all that stuff. It was I don't remember what the original ending was. Mm. Um, but they went ahead and reshot that. And Gary said, "Do you want to be a cop?" Yeah, sure. I did it in spontaneous combustion. <laughs> <laughs> so why not? I'm you know typecast me so. <laughs> so yes, that was me, the lead cop. Stand and hold fast, or whatever I say after <laughs> shooting. Yeah, that was me again. Um, <laughs> but was that your only time on set? Uh, yeah, I mean, no, I mean, I hung out on set while they were shooting. I mean, yeah. Until boys had me writing um, Spiders too, and I did a little bit of. I did. I, we were at a couple of scenes on set that weren't working. Um, mm. I mean, so that was months later that we reshot the ending. Right, I see, I see. Um, now, obviously, with, with, with you stating how New Image were, were very much a sales company, I don't suppose that Spiders was ever intended to play theatrically. Well, it did. I believe it had a theatrical run in Japan. Oh, really? Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Because um, they, but yes, they were mostly a you know, straight-to-video company mm-hmm. um, even though they shot on film and they but they were still never intended these things because there's risk involved to be yeah. in theaters you have to pay for advertising and promotion and it wasn't their business model I mean if they spent let's say a million dollars on a movie and they walked away with a million five hundred thousand they were happy yeah 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 you know it was the Roger Corman school of just don't lose money make a little bit of money, make a bunch of movies, and you're in good shape. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what kind of business did it do? Were you, were you ever privy to that? I have no idea. No, but presumably, um, with regard to pre-sales, it, it was certainly enough for a sequel, with one, one that, you know... Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Well, they, had, they were already good at dealing with the sequel while they were shooting the original, because they, you know, they had sales. And that one was funny. The first movie with Moaz was, can it start on a car, can it start on a ship? We have a ship set. <laughs> <laughs> it's a church. It was actually a submarine set, but they reworked it to make it look like a ship on the inside. So. <laughs> that's crazy. I mean, how, that's how, 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 too. how did the variables change between Spiders 1 and Spiders 2? Was there less money? Was there more restrictions? There's a lot more CGI, isn't there, in the second film? Uh, yes, there was a lot more. 
and it was also different that it was um, Sam Furstenberg came in to direct yeah. who is still a friend I love him he's the best storyteller in the world um, <laughs> and because we were in Bulgaria when we were here Boaz was hands on on set quite often um, and in Bulgaria Boaz didn't show up it was Danny Lerner Avi Lerner's brother yeah. um, who was there handling the day to day production and supervising yeah I see like a, a sad story that I, I found out about a month ago that Stephanie Nismick who was the played the lead in Spiders 2 passed away oh did she? Um, suddenly oh good grief yeah it was I I'd sort of lost touch with her I think she, she stopped acting and I think she wanted to sort of distance herself from show business and mm-hmm. I still don't know what happened she was only 52 you know right. she, but she was a well, that, that, is that, a shame. Was, that is a shame um, yeah. So overall, I mean, throughout your experience, obviously you had a number of years dealing with New Image. What were they like yeah. to work with? You, you've detailed some aspects, but overall, was it a pleasant experience or was it very uh, intense due to the speedy nature of their production? Well, it's intense, but that didn't bother me. I mean, the, you know, what I liked about New Image is that they you knew exactly what was going on. Yeah. They were not duplicitous in any sense of the word. Um, when they made a deal, you know, the way they made a deal is I say, here's your deal. Mm. You just sign it. There's no negotiation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, it, it was a low budget deal, but it wasn't, they weren't insultingly low. It was, a, it was fair compensation for the budget that they were using. Um, you know, and for Spiders too, the first meeting with Danny Lerner in Bulgaria was, you have six weeks to shoot. If you don't shoot the entire script, you're not going to shoot the entire script. That's it. Right. And I know a lot of there were a lot of people who didn't like Danny because of that. I actually appreciated that mm. because I, I, you know, Sam Furstenberg, I knew exactly where we stood. We had to shoot this on schedule, and you know, and I, I respect the money. Right? It's their money. It's not my money. Yeah. If I go over. If we go over schedule, they put the bill, not me. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so. So I actually liked that element. I liked, within, they set the parameters, but then you could be as creative as you wanted within those parameters. Mm, of course, of course. They, they didn't call you with notes about dailies and mm-hmm. things like that. You could, as long as you didn't go over budget, over schedule, you could essentially, and you followed the script, of course, you couldn't like, go off the script, but you could, creative within those parameters I actually like that quite a bit I, I actually loved working with New Image yeah I mean that is a lot of freedom isn't it I mean from what you detailed before on, on the Mangler for example I mean when you, when you consider the, the kind of meddling and, and day to day interaction you were having there with the producers to, to practically free reign with New Image it, it's quite a stark contrast isn't it Um, so, do you ever do you ever catch spiders or a sequel on TV late at night? And, and do you have you ever do you, do you do you channel hop through it, or, or do you carry on watching no, it? No, no. If it happens to be on, um, I'll watch it. I mean, Invaders from Mars came on the other day, and I and I start watching because I, I work on the the, yeah. the ray guns visual effects part of that. Even right. I hadn't met Tom yet. Um, yeah, I do because it's you know I look at it and go I don't remember that. <laughs> you know, 
mean, the, the way filmmakers are is you go into a movie thinking it's going to be the greatest movie ever. When you finish it, you think it's the worst movie ever made. <laughs> no matter what. Yeah. Um, it's just because you're so close to it, all you see are the flaws or mm-hmm. whatever. And the truth is, all filmmakers go into making a film um, thinking this is going to be the greatest film ever. And when they're finished, particularly the first edit, when there's no sound effects and it's all kind of dead, it's really depressing. Everybody walks out of the first edit suicidal. Mm-hmm. Um, then you start reworking it and get it to work, but even when you go to the final, the first screening, the premiere and so on, you still have this sense that you made the worst movie ever made. Because um, you're so close to it, all you do is go, oh, I wish we had done that. Oh, why did we do that? Oh, that little bit. Things that no one else notices, right? Yeah. But the filmmakers do. And then years later, it's always nice to see something years later. I mean, if Spiders pops up on TV and I watch it go, you know, it's not that bad. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually pretty good. You know, and because and, the distance and having worked on other things in the meantime means you can look at it with fresh eyes, more like an audience member as opposed to part of the filmmaking team. Huge thank you to Stephen David Brooks there for taking the time out to have a chat with us. If you want to see what Stephen has been up to recently, then give Flytrap a spin, his most recent film. It's available to stream on Amazon Prime. That's all for now, but if you'd like to reach out to us on social media, then head over to our Schlock and Awe page on Instagram. And why not harass us on Twitter, too? You can find us at Matty Budrevitz or at The Dave Wayne. You're listening to Natural Selection, the home of the DTV Creature Feature.